Welcome to the ThinkSpace podcast with myself, John Stoskowski and Danny Massaro. Our goal with this podcast is a simple one. We discuss and dissect a prescient topic, issue or theme that we think is interesting and might help us humans better understand why we think, feel and do what we do. If you'd like to engage in these types of conversations too, you can check out thinkspace.academy for a unique cohort-based course that will help you think critically and live authentically. Hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so this episode, Danny, we're going to have a chat about a four-part documentary by the UK filmmaker Adam Curtis called The Century of the Self, which he made in... 2002 so it's 20 year old now which is pretty terrifying can get it if you're in the uk you can get it on the bbc it's on the iplayer and just like the on-demand services but you can watch it on youtube as well basically what it is it's like it's a four-part documentary primarily focusing on the work initially of sigmund freud who was the founder of psychoanalysis and he was the dude who basically came up with this concept of the self back in 1900 and Curtis then takes it on from there where you have Freud's nephew a guy called Edward Bernays who's a the founder of PR so public relations who really takes up Freud's work in the 1920s and brings it to America and really at the core of this whole thing is this belief that human beings are driven so we are driven by these inner feelings and we're quite irrational in that. So we've got these inner irrational forces and desires that are really guiding how we think, how we feel, and how we behave. And um, basically what Bernays, using Freud's theories, was saying was, look, you need to be able to control these and manipulate them for the good of society. So unsurprisingly, governments, corporations kind of cottoned onto this, and Curtis essentially shows through the four parts of the documentary how consumerism then comes about, how corporations use these theories to to really shape the way that we think and the way we live. And then we'll see how it then impacts on politics as well. Curtis shows us that in the fourth episode. So it's a really interesting, probably sounds a little bit drier than, than it is the way I've described it, but it's a really interesting four-part documentary that we'd recommend everyone has a watch of. And we it's just something that we both enjoy watching. We watched it a few years ago and we've re-watched it recently for the purposes of this podcast. And we just think it's a really interesting bit of work that we can maybe tease some interesting insights out of for just how we're going about living our lives at the moment. Danny, do you want to kick us off with, I don't know if you were going to give us a four-part overview, or do we just dive into part one and then see see where we end up? Yeah, we'll go into part one, I think. Um, just just for me, we've the last few podcasts and uh, listening to a few bits of bits and going back that we've done we, we, we mentioned the century of self a lot and i think because a lot of the philosophers and the ideas that we've talked about are from uh, philosophers and researchers from the 20th century and this documentary is something that's sort of explains the central sort of psychology of most people in the western world at least have gone with their um sort of unconscious or, or mildly conscious psychology of well instead of thinking about others like we talked about with Simone de Beauvoir who said the ultimate freedom was getting to the stage where you live for others as much as you live for yourself and she caricatured those those five ways of being and Nietzsche as well that was very much about the self and Uber men should be this and so on the way that the 20th century did pan out was was an inward turn back into me my desires How's it going down for me? What 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 are my products? Who are my friends? What are my concerns? What do I want? And that it's, this is a documentary that tries to explain quite biasedly, you know. But like Adam Curtis is very biased in, in, and admits he is that. Tries to explain how politics, how governments, how ideas, psychologists, science researchers, how things all sort of came together to slowly turn, particularly America and, and then Britain, into uh, consumers, and how we've got to where we've we've got now, where we are very much self-centered people. And our fundamental thing isn't to think of others straight away. It's all about myself. And 
one of the proposals is is that the fallout of all of that is that politics has turned into basically pandering to individual desires instead of having grand ideas about the where the world can go and that marketing and politics and focus groups and finding out what people secretly want and tapping into that is what really should drive you know drives the world but the ultimate downside of that which which we'll get to is what's the psychological fallout of that to people when you are always in your own world and always worried every second of every day about you and your moods and the importance of you over the importance of others uh, predominantly and sharing and you know more more probably more social more liberal type stuff then what's the actual fallout mentally of that and that can be things like anxiety loneliness and so on because when you can't get your fill when you're not fulfilled or you get everything you want all your satisfactions all your desires and you still feel a bit lonely or a bit anxious and you keep needing more where do you go from there and that links into into meaning you know you, 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 how you feel i think that that bit will probably resonate with most people more so in the first episode it's very much based around you've obviously got freud's ideas of you know the inner self and these irrational forces that are driving us and he really frames it around that consumerism element where so edward benes gets involved and goes all right i've got these ideas i'm going to take these to america and basically show them to governments and corporations and look, this is how you can control people and get them to buy your buy your stuff, essentially. He's a proper interesting character, Bernays, when you... Yeah. I'll just look before, he lived until he was 103. And when you see the way that, ben, that Curtis breaks it down, there can't be many people who had a bigger influence no. on society and culture. Not overtly, you know, where he's like a famous... Yeah. A lot of people won't have, have even heard like a Muhammad Ali or someone like a John Kennedy, yeah, something. Yeah. He wasn't the guy on the the billboards, was he? But no. I don't think many people can ha- can have had a bigger impact on just the world or a century at least. Obviously, his ideas came from his from his uncle, from Freud himself. And at the real seed of this, Freud said that we aren't we aren't totally rational beings. We have what's called the subconscious, and the subconscious basically comes out of your childhood and how your childhood was as well, as well as your biology sort of thing. And all these little underneath uh, subconscious desires are suppressed by society, pretty much. And it's good job they've been suppressed in many ways, because otherwise you'd be basically just, we'd all just be wild animals, right? And with no order and everything would be chaos and so on. So this this thing became, if you went to see a, a psychoanalyst and, and sat on the couch, you know, it's the old traditional lie down and sort of freewheel with your thoughts and really open up and sort of get in a trance that Freud or the therapist could talk to your desires that you didn't know you had or, or complaints. And this is, this is the stuff like women would have penis envy, for example. You know, oh, I, 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 my real subconscious is, is, is angry at man because I've never been this or, you know, the big stuff about, you know, all the Freudian ideas about attachment to your mother and all these strange subconscious deep things that if we allowed them all on the surface, like I say, it'd all be bad. But when someone got ill or someone was having a bad time, Freud's approach was that, oh no, if we can talk to that part of you, that subconscious part, have a little word with it, calm it down, you know, let it know that, you know, it's not real and it shouldn't be doing that. Almost like then when after the session's over, you should feel better about yourself because you're not a whim anymore to these subconscious, powerful, irrational things underneath. So what ultimately that did, it worried the hell out of governments because he landed in America with these ideas and they started to spread in the intellect and like, oh my God, people are actually crazy. People are nuts. And after the 30s and they'd seen what had gone on with the Nazis and, and gone on with people actually starting to do ridiculously horrible things to other humans after the war, which we saw with that, People were like, of course it's true. Look at that person. Look at those Look at those people there doing that to those people. They must be irrational because you wouldn't do that. So it's true. We are irrational beings. Oh, my God. How are we going to control everybody and keep the lid on it? And that's where these ideas got into the highest level of government. And then that started to affect things like, you know, social control, how you dope out the masses, how you market, how you advertise, how you send messages out and use media to basically keep everybody calm and not at whim to these irrational forces that apparently the subconscious was. And Benet's was the guy 
who was so good at influencing everybody and putting out these messages that in some ways worked. You know, so it wasn't completely wrong, the idea of the subconscious, but it just that it took over and started to influence everything. And it, it sort of was like, it's the only thing. And we'll find out later in, when we talk that it's it's not the only thing. There's other things going on. Well, a big part of what he was doing, like I alluded to consumerism, part of his shtick really, wasn't it? That look, if you can stimulate these inner desires in people, so almost yeah. implant them. What we can then do is we'll actually satiate those desires with products. Yeah. So make them feel like they want a certain thing and then yeah. give them the product and then keep them quiet, keep them suppressed, and everyone will just keep a lid on all these, you know, these inner demons that they've perhaps got going on underneath the surface. So it really was about mass control in a way, wasn't it? It was it was literally we need to mass control populations through their thoughts and i think bernays called that the engineering of consent yes that's how he termed it you know well one of these earlier examples if we can give an example sort of things so how we did it so um it was like one of the fears that that the government had for finance and and being popular and, and flowing money around and economics was that you would you would make loads of products and there'd be nothing nobody would want to buy them there'd be a surplus so it's like oh my god so one of them was like cigarettes so the, the, if they could get women to smoke, they were like, well, that's going to solve that because no women smoked, just what men did. So basically, Bernays came up with this plan of getting, he, he, he said that essentially we can create the cigarette as, as, as a symbol of power. Freedom, no, it was a symbol of freedom, wasn't it? Yeah, they called them torches of freedom, which was like, we can lit, women's desire really, really, women want to be equal to men. Women want liberty. So what we can do, we can, if they have got a cigarette it's not the actual cigarette the nicotine and all that bit they're actually we can call them torches of freedom so if a woman smokes she's basically saying to the world i am this i am now free you will not hold me back now that's like i think that's a bit like tattoos now nowadays you know or various things when you're a teenager and you want to grow up you get an earring or jewelry or you wear adult things you try because you can't express it verbally one of the ideas is that you can express what you really want to say through your products you know so i, I can't i can't go around telling everybody i'm i think i'm sexy and a bit risky and if you got to know me i've got this side of me but i can buy a product that does that or dress a certain way that kind of tells you that because i don't actually know how to how to say it and i haven't got i haven't got the mechanism to so what he did, he basically got on a, on a feminist march in New York, he made sure that all the key feminists, pussy employed a few women in, the really like good-looking model-type women, to go along and gave them all cigarettes to smoke, went national news, and before you knew it, three, four years down the line, sales were as equal with the men on the women's smoking because they became basically these torches of freedom. So that was a way in which Benet basically controlled a lot of people now so then obviously once that had, that had worked you can imagine what they then did with all the other products home care products alcohol uh cars blah 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 and that that was the birth of that pr type subconscious selling there's a brilliant quote in there from a guy who i think it's 1927 and he's at lehman brothers so he's a wall street banker at the time paul yeah. mazer i think he was called yeah paul mazer yeah paul mazer so you've got obviously you alluded to it. You've got Bernays trying to move them from needs to desires, isn't it, when it comes to, yes. to products? So it wasn't that, oh, my God, the car's broken down. I need a new car. Yeah. It was, you've got a perfectly fine car sat, sat, sat there. <laughs> but what you need is to now convey something else that you can do through driving around in a new, um, maybe more expensive or newer car. Paul Mazza says, you know, so this is 1927, if you think. It's right at the start of the boom years, really, isn't it? And his quote in that, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want things. Even before the old have been entirely consumed, man's desires must overshadow his needs. Mm. That, it's a great quote, but just that when he uses the word trained, you know, that it literally was that they were training people to yeah. desire stuff and go out and buy it. It was interesting. I watched, when I was watching that back thing last week, that first, this first one, I just watched a, a film um, about the guy who'd set up Vegas, basically, the gangster who basically got the casinos going. And um, he says in this line that we didn't build gambling casinos, we, we built we built excitement and risk. Says Vegas went massive 
because it was a it said something about you if you'd been to Vegas, you know, and it built this risk and excitement that people couldn't get. He said it happened to be that we did it through gambling, but that wasn't the thing. We didn't build casinos, we built experiences of excitement and risk. And that's what struck me with this. Up to that point, products had been sold and marketed as very practical, you know, this this will do this and this, but all of a sudden it became about desires. So one of the one of the good examples was, wasn't it, the uh, the, the the cake, the homemade. Yeah, I love the egg. That just genius. So I can't remember the company, which can't remember the company, but everyone will know. You like, I just think you're like, is it Betty Crocker? Yeah, Betty Crocker's. Yeah, like the cake in a box, isn't it? Where just yeah. all the ingredients were in there. Chuck it in a bowl. You maybe had to add milk or water or something yeah. to it, and then before you know it, you've got a cake coming out of the oven. But people weren't buying it, were they? No, they felt guilty. So the, the real thing was, even though it's a good cake and it works, the mothers felt guilty because they weren't being mothers. So they went to him and said, we've got this amazing thing. It's practical. It's so practical. Why is, why is it not popular? And it will get to the groups bit because it obviously has to spread as an idea and be culturally group. So although this is an individual thing, the group has to catch on to it. So because you the group becomes powerful. So you know what they're doing, I do. So you copy your peers. And he was also very brilliant at that. He didn't see people as individuals. He saw them as groups, basically. So he looked at this, they went to him and he said, I know what you do. You just add an egg. Tell them that they have to buy their own egg and add the egg into the mix. And it's and the and the old the old adverts became like add an egg, add an egg. So she felt the lady who was making it like she baked the cake because she'd added her egg. Now, he said that was a subconscious Freudian thing about her own fertile eggs. The, the, the idea about the egg was that she could get practically involved, but it was a subconscious message to the husband and the kids, like, you know, that this this is, you know, an egg as in her, 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 her child eggs. So, which we go, well, that's a bit weird. How freaky is that? But obviously they're thinking of the subconscious adding your own egg, it's feminine, it's I'm a woman, I have eggs, this is my egg, you know, that link. So this is what they were doing, and you know, they were very, very successful at it. That aspect of you're not really selling, probably you're selling emotions, aren't you? So when you mentioned with the tortures of freedom, you know, Curtis says in the, th- in the documentary, it is completely irrational to think that a woman feels freer by smoking a cigarette. But the fact is, when she felt when she smoked the cigarette, she felt freer. It's totally irrational, but that's how she felt. We were they were able to tap yeah. into these emotions yeah. and make people feel in certain ways through buying and doing certain things. This is where I kind of like it. I mean, I'm not all I'm not Freudian in any way, but you know, you can't dismiss him out of the picture because you know there are some of these things are there. We do. We aren't rational all the time. I work with athletes a lot, you know, and the scientists came in, and and and, and a lot of the a lot of the you know you can be rational all you want with sport, but there's reasons and things going on. Sometimes you do behaviours secretly and privately, and you don't really know why. It's for other re- other re- it's not rational why you did that. You might smoke yourself on a night out. You might you know I don't know, but it's like a bit of rebellious thing. You, I know people who like getting an alcoholic blowout. You know, it's like or buying something that's out of character. You know, if you live a life where you're totally rational and you're an intellect and you're that kind of way, fine. But a lot of people don't think that is a full life. You know, they're not. They want to take, like, the gambling thing. They want to have a bit of risk, a bit of adventure, a bit of what's... Whether you believe or not that's underneath bubbling bubbling subconscious desires or not, and you've been you've been marketed into it, or whether you just believe that that's just a personality who wants a bit of bit of a shake up, you know, they get a bit bored. But the point is we're not all rash we're not everything we ever do isn't always rational. So when you just go oh, stupid, look at them, what are they doing that for? Look at Nick Kyrgios at the tennis. Why does he do that? Why does he shout at his box? You know, Nick Kyrgios, you know, idiot shouting at his box, you know, does he not know that's a distraction, that's a psychological weakness, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, he's just got to the final Wimbledon, hasn't he? <laughs> so he's not that bad, <laughs> you know. Oh, but I could make him better if I gave him the four concentration ideas I have. And, it, and it's like, really? The guy doesn't play tennis for the reasons you play it for. He's obviously into it for completely different reasons that make him tick. And they're not always with him in particular rational, you know. And that's that's what that's why that's why I like I love this Century of Self documentary. It really gets you thinking and really stirs it up because it's history as well. And I think history is a story, 
and it's interesting um and you can see it from a you can see you in it like you've gone through things and you know and and, and you can see yourself still in that story so so it's so it's um, also this documentary is just interesting you know it's just entertaining you know that's it so part two that's about part one and it part two so part one then really where where it leaves us is we're at this point where you've got freud's ideas now are kind of becoming mainstream and you've got big corporations using them to really connect the dots between products and hidden desires you've got them understanding or at least thinking they understand people better and they're now using these ideas to control and manipulate people with these psychological techniques the other thing probably worth mentioning is it's like a perfect storm isn't it because just as this is happening you've got technology improving so that mass production becomes possible so again rather than products being just made on a as needed basis you've now got corporations able to make these massive production lines of of products where they can just churn out thousands and millions of them just at the time where you've got people you know now able to to tap into and create these hidden desires that people want feeding essentially so it's very much gone from repressing and controlling that inner self and keeping it battered down to right now we're just going to feed these infinite desires with all these products that we're going to churn out yeah and and i think as it goes into part two anna freud comes in doesn't she is that his granddaughter is it no so that's freud's daughter isn't it freud's daughter anna freud she she sort of takes it on as well with you know in terms of she wants people to conform you know so she thinks that uh, in 1946 i think that she she was close in the government as well with truman they convinced truman that basically people have got mental health problems if these desires get out and start going a bit, you know, too too irrational. If the irrational fears, like a lid comes off, and they and then they start behaving too irrationally, then you've got once they start acting in mass forces. Like obviously, in the Nazis, proved that that once Hitler started to appeal to something subconscious in terms of mass power and they're evil and we can be super and once that's spread enough it, it, they would they've been given an example of the masses basically being irrational through what they did you know to the jews basically and how easy it happened so then the truman they were like they were basically really worried that that could happen in america it was like right let's uh, then let's nip this in the bud the national mental health act was born and they were supposed to deal with this threat of the an unstable illness and psychiatrists were professionalised, they did loads of marriage guidance counsellors, and they wanted social order, they wanted people to conform, control the fire of your emotions, get that, you know, get you the regulatory part of your brain winning over the emotional side, get logical, you know, see sense, don't go off on one, you know, be a good person. And Anna Freud was like one that tried to do that a lot through her ideas of how to bring children up. So she actually did an experiment with her friend's kids of basically, you know, anytime they did anything wrong or anything, she was just, no, that's wrong. Conform, conform, be a good person, be a good person, conform. And she believed that that would basically take out eventually. It had beat down the irrational and it had strengthened the rational side. And this rational side had become so strong, he'd become so self-controlled you know, British stiff upper lip, for example, that type of thinking, you'd be some so rationally strong that the it, it would be the gatekeeper to your emotions forever. You know what I mean? So you can basically logic your way out of any any emotion, um, and because those emotions are very dangerous, and we can't all be having those emotions at the same time because it's just the way you can't live. You can't have a society like that. So that's where they were coming from. You know, mass control. Um, at the mean, the same time, it shows in this particular chapter that the CIA were doing psychological experiments, literally trying to find out what the subconscious actually was and almost take people back to a baseline and get rid of the personalities. They were giving them LSD, they were doing brain zapping experiments. They were, they were all in the background trying to learn how to basically like level people to a a behavioural flatline level where they could be manipulated by the government and by the politicians. You know, not in a nasty way. It wasn't like we want you to be zombies. It's like we're doing it for your own good because you don't want to be. You don't want to be out of control to your emotions. You want to be rational and live a two point four life. You go to work, 
get a job, get married, have a dog, get a house. You know, you, you don't want chaos in your life. You Who would? You don't want too much emotions. We, 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 we've got the future. We're democratic. We're equal. We're America. We're great. Now, what happened was when what they found out, what I felt was interesting was that rather than the theory of it strengthening the rational mind, all this control and suppression, it actually basically didn't work at all. It just bottled things up. <laughs> so you just bury it and but it bottles up a bit like a, when you push a ball underwater, eventually it's going to come up through the surface and smack you in the face. So you either keep pressing and pressing and do more strict doctrines, more strict religion, believe even harder in rationality and really go down that line and basically never ever let them emotions come out. Or you accept that actually that wasn't the way to go and start to liberate yourself a little bit more when that's how we get to part three. But the CIA at the end of it all, and they've got, even there were two people on the documentary and they say at the end of all our experiments, which were mightily cruel, uh, we realized that the human being is way more complex and intelligent and, and crafty than what we'd given it credit for. <laughs> so I thought it was like, that was a sign of the times. It's quite shocking, isn't it? To- well, I, I thought that that thread that's it's running through all the episodes really, but particularly in that one, that he really digs down into that, that distinction between rational and ir- irrational. Because you mentioned about the politics that comes in We'll yeah. get into that in a little bit, but it very much was. Look, this is how we're, they were talking about this is how we view human beings. And then yeah. that meant how you view democracy and, and capitalism and stuff like that. So you had the camp where I think it was Roosevelt was the president at the time, where it was like, no, people are rational citizens, they're active citizens, and they should have like an active role in deciding how society is run and you know what policies are and all that type of stuff and you had the Bernays camp on the other hand, other side still going nah you can't trust these are all just irrational passive consumers you can't trust the word they they say we've got to tell them what to think and it was like it, it does it got t- down to that view of well what is democracy you know like is, yeah. it, is it almost just a sham where people have the perception that they've got they can vote and they can choose where really it well, it's, it ends up going that way that they don't. It's like, no, we're going to tell you what um, you think you want and need and what you're going to desire. And then you'll give us what we want as politicians and as, as capitalists, etc. And he really, you know, he, he really makes that distinction, doesn't he, that I still think is relevant, probably even more relevant today when yeah. you look at politics. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you get, you're, so you're starting to now get into the territory of individual uh, desires so psychotherapy really it's psychotherapy psychoanalysis sorry it, it was criticized by arthur miller's in the in the documentary and he says well why why not suffer why not allow people to have some suffer why not allow them to be miserable or sad for a few days what's wrong with the full emotional states of being human which you go back to you know all the philosophers and schopenhauer and other ones that you know even plato and, and socrates you know you should have all the emotions it's not life's not one big happy constant happiness thing it, it was a scene as an outside attack on the internal freedom of a person really the you know because we were like oh we've got to control everybody so we'll we'll we can force control from the outside and what started to happen was that psychoanalysis then started to look like a very repressive form of social control and they basically tried to adjust everybody to an average baseline psychology and we see that yeah nowadays you know we see that in 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 a lot of things in books like you know models and the happiness project or the 10 ways to you know be gratitude gratitude or the clean diet the vegan way you know everything you know a lot of these books now are like they've simplified it down to make you go just follow this just follow this step process there's no there's no ambiguity or complexity if you just follow this process you'll be happy and fine you know you won't you won't get sad and you won't get this and this is the way to go so everybody's you, you know what i mean like because what happened from this was that People, the next episode, part three, which is called There is a Policeman Inside All Our Heads and He Must Be Destroyed, (laughs) was basically, let's not push the emotions down. This was more like the hippie movement, the rise of the self-help movement. In the in the California in the seventies, and all these all these um, echelon and all these types of therapists came out. Were no free the self, 
don't be repressed down into yourself like be a good person go let the emotions fully out and you be the person you are supposed to be because you are worth it and you deserve it and you've got unlimited potential and you need to drop all your baggage, let all the emotions out and be who you can be. So part three starts with Tony Robbins, uh, who's the quintessential you know, 80s self-help guru that's still going to this day and uh, drove a lot of the psychology uh, of... Uh, the 1980s and onwards of which I, I myself got into loads and well this episode really it's like the fight back isn't it so you you get this it goes 360 where people now start rebelling against consumerism and going yeah. no we don't all want to be the same and um, we want to have our own personalities we want to express our own individuality so it's yeah. very much that mid-60s counterculture isn't it you had a lot of protest kicking off you know anti-vietnam war and all that stuff was floating around politically as well yeah so it was that it was almost like a rebellion against corporate yeah america and that social control which is the you know the policeman inside the head that that he's talking about and it gives Bernays and the boys a bit of an issue doesn't it because it's yeah. like well no we've got all these bloody mass-produced products here that <laughs> we need you to want and buy off us yeah and people that were turning around are going no I don't want to look the same as everyone else I don't want to drive the same car or wear the yeah. same clothes or yeah. listen to the same music yeah. that you're trying to make me listen to through films and product placement and all that stuff it was very much like a line in the sand and it kicks off a bit doesn't it yeah Films like, uh, and I love the film, um, the Christmas one, It's a Wonderful Life, all seen as just, this is basically be a good person and control yourself, you know, and in the end you'll be rewarded for a happy middle of, you know, be, be the guy, be the main guy, don't be the, don't be the rebel and go off and do your own, be the dutiful guy who looks after, so you know, that's, that's a message, but yeah, the hippies, you know, you, you see this, the typical footage, don't you, of, you know, dancing around naked and, you know, smoking drugs and doing what you want and free man and then obviously you got to tie in drugs so people have started to get more lsd more drugs and that changes perception so when you take drugs your perceptions change and you see a different way that you the world can be and that could be actually a good thing i mean you know you're seeing at the moment ideas of therapy now and we're, we're, we're all this time 50 60 years ahead of that 70 years, you know, you're seeing now how MDMA and LSD and these microdosing of these can actually open up the mind and help because some of these visions are helpful. But then in 40 years, we'll probably look back at this time and go, what were they doing? <laughs> like we're doing, <laughs> Curtis will be making something then. <laughs> but but what I mean is, is like, is the, the opening of perceptions and perhaps new ways to be, and there's nothing wrong with personal expression you don't have to live in a house. You don't have to buy products and bake cakes and go to get a job. You don't have to basically be a pawn in a government system. You can be your. You can be a lot more. And that subconscious side of yourself is there to actually help you as much as it's there to hinder you. So let it out. Let it express. And therefore, a lot of the footage of things like you know people in these seances and group therapy sessions where they're shouting or getting naked and all, you know, normal forms of behavior are starting to collapse. <laughs> and, you know, you're watching it thinking, God, you know, they've gone a bit extreme, but, they're, you know, they're really trying to get this emotional youth out of themselves and kill all the childhood baggage that they were put on by their fathers and mothers and society and get free and be a free spirit. But actually, what was going on really there, it was just self-indulgence. And, and what one guy called it, who was into it at the time, looking back, great. It was good on the guy with the beard, he was brilliant. He said, basically, looking back, we were just doing socialism for the self. We, we, we thought we were being really hippie and liberal and freeing to the whole thing. But basically, we were just going further into our own satisfaction, our own ego and and desires really we, we just wanted to be free which was no different than somebody wanting to bake a cake you know because someone had told them to do it you know in the house we we, we were just a, it was just another form of uh you know driving towards our own self-actualization and our own self-satisfaction do you think it's more like that now because it it becomes very much the age around that period about 
you know, that human potential movement, doesn't it? Yes. Personal transformation, taking control, autonomy, owning your freedom, yes. express your true inner self, all that stuff. I wonder if it's probably more like that even now, because the beauty of it was, you know, like I said, you've got Bernays and the, the corporations are starting to panic because like we said, we've got all this mass produced stuff we need to sell, but people were no longer pre- behaving like predictable consumers. You can't, you, if you don't know what they're going to want and everyone's different, how can you possibly service everyone's needs? They worked it out pretty quick, didn't they? Well, they give, there was an interesting example in there. I don't know if you picked it, where they, they had the guy on and he starts talking about life insurance. He had like college graduates just yeah. stopped buying life insurance. Yeah. And he was kind of saying that, you know, if, if all you're doing is living in the present moment for your own self and your own needs and your own desires, yeah. you're not really bothered about the future. No. It just doesn't even exist. So no. people were no longer going to spend money on stuff. Well, why do I need life insurance? I'm just living for me now in this moment. Well, the irony was, if you think about it, like this, most people listening to this might, I'd say, know who Abraham Maslow was, you know, Maslow's needs. Okay. And, you know, the, the popular gift now it's like warm shelter social love and all these things and at the top of the pyramid was self-actualization and he said maslow very 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 popular psychologist and influential going for all the universities and so on so his thing was people want to self-actualize ultimately once they've got all the basic things met like they can eat and they can survive and so so self-actualization became the religion everything became around like you know i can be something so you know we've talked on this podcast a lot about facticity and transcendence it became about the transcendence bit a lot move on make something who you can really be you know find your one passion find the thing you were put on this earth to be go and be a spaceman go and be a, a you know a teacher go and go and run a business, go and become, or go and live in the woods on your own, do what you were born to do, you know, really self-actualize, become. So obviously this is, you know, this is coming through from the 60s and then just went absolutely mega in the and, and massive, massive thing in, in the 80s where you started to see celebrity, you started to see people openly coming out and saying, like showing off their wealth if it was that. They weren't, he wasn't scared to be, I'm, I'm greedy. I can have 10 yachts. I can have 10 this. And, and then it's trendy. It's you wish you had what I had. So it, the, this slowly, 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 the, the collective disappeared. And it became truly about socialism for the self. It was like no community, really, just self, self-satisfaction. You might say that you are doing it for society, but ultimately... You're trying to make as much money as you can. You have as many experiences as you can. And it's all basically about about you. Now, that's not going to be totally like that. You're all still going to be a, a brother and a friend and you're going to do something for others. But the predominant underlying psychology is I am the most important thing in this universe, in my universe. I am the centre of the world and I've got to get going and my experiences count above all else whilst I'm here. Now that might seem normal to us now. It's like, yeah, well, that's normal. Well, that's because that that was the genius (laughs) of capitalism because they looked at that and and they've gone from, oh shit, no one's buying all this stuff we're making now to hang on, why don't we just make them stuff that helps them be able to express their unique individuality? And it went full circle again. And then up it ramped, like like you say, the 80s kick in, celebrity culture. And it's just like another boom time, isn't it? Everything kicks off again to feed those desires. So then it became like, right, Nike, we're Nike or we're selling shoes or we're doing flowers or we're doing cars and everything basically then for those they, they called them inner directives yeah. they got a name for them they called them inner directives and this is what happened in britain as well so people started to say i will decide what makes me happy not you so then there's a great section in britain and uh, i think it's part three and there's like they're in the 80s and they're sat in three different houses in an housing estate and they've got like marble bloody taps and kitchen and italian leather and they said why have you bought all this it's like, well, I just want to be different. I just want to be a bit individual. I, I, I you know, I'm, I don't want to be like everyone else, you know, because we're, we're moving up in the world. And then they go to all these different houses, and they're all selling the same things. Oh, look at this fur. It's from, it's from, you know, this, oh, this, this marble's Italian. And look, no one else has got that. So yeah, everyone has a marble kitchen, but they don't have the Italian version. So everything became a lot then about limited edition as well. And even the hippies, you know, that guy was saying, look, I ended up buying these types of Converse shoes. Because they were 
multicolored and nobody else had them you know i started getting into music that nobody else was really into because it was like I, i'm different than you so everybody were everybody I, when i used to i mean this is ironic nlp neurolinguistic programming also was born in this time something i've studied in and one of the things i remember doing nlp was that people are mainly sameness people with difference. You get people who just live and want difference. You get people who live and just want same. So they go on the same holidays, eat the same foods, you know what I mean? Like just metronomic, same, same, same. Some people are different for different sake, just constant variety. But I think it's like 10% at each side. 80% of people are sameness with difference. They want the same things with a twist. And that's why you've got 40 brands of Kit Kat. That's why soaps, soap operas combination street will go on for another 100 years because it's the same thing with different characters people think people think they're having different things all the time it's just that the product people are just tweaking it oh a new flavor of that oh a, a coffee with this you know starbucks costa Every, everything's the same basically but we're just twisting it and that's where these marketing people and Benet's said, right, if they want to be in the directives and they want to feel special and they want to feel different and unique and self-actualized, give them the things that make them think they are. They want a private reg on the car, make one for them. They want a, you know, a, a tattoo that's done in this way, make them feel like and make another one. They want a, you know, a holiday that has these bells and whistles on it that you know, you, you get a free this and a bit of this and you get some, you get all inclusive at breakfast. Give them that because they'll tell all their mates that they're living the life because it's a bit different. And you're right, John. Yeah, I think nowadays that's gone hyper. It's like what, it, what all the ways I can conform and keep up with everybody. But whilst I'm doing it, just put a little twist on it to show that I'm actually doing it just a little bit uniquely. When actually you're just a Snapchat victim or a, you're just a victim to the, to the technology of Instagram. Because wherever you go, all you can now see is potential pictures you can post. You're, a, you're a bit, literally a zombie to the, to the technology, but you think... Youth actually think you're choosing to do it. <laughs> you know, that is that's that's what started in the in with this product placement, this product specialism, and this is where Benet's legacy is and why you probably said he's influenced people as much as anyone. So it's it's personal PR, isn't it, as well? Well that's where they they really ramped up the whole, you know, like market segmentation and lifestyle marketing became a thing, didn't it, where they really started tapping into. So you mentioned the inner directives. There's a whole li different list of them, isn't there? where yeah. they're really they're not really separating you now on things like social class anymore it's all about right psychological needs and they have like you know like the i think one of the examples to show is like the surfers and it's like right if you're into surfing there's all these different things and emotions that kind of typify you there's yeah. these products that they want and it goes all the way through i think yeah. there was a little bit later on they had there was like the mainstreamers who they're they're all about security and belonging yeah and then you had aspirers where it was like status and self-esteem um succeeders was all about having control reformers it was again about self -esteem. so you know that's where that really just went into overdrive and it's like right what products do those people want and then later on as we see in episode four it wasn't just what will they buy it was what would they vote for wasn't it so that's when politics so really went right we're into this now we're not just going to give them what we think they need yeah we're going to find out what they want and then we'll give them that and we know they'll vote for us then brilliant yeah that's it and you know that's the, you know so that so the the pr that is it the pr or social marketing became a massive industry yeah and then you get all these like you get all this research and intelligence subgroups don't you then so you get focus groups and you get a lot of Let's go to the people, get them to free think around, you know, um, let's find out what they really, really, truly desire. Like when, when I was selling them a washing up liquid brand, right? And they're like, oh, it's not. They don't. They want a washing up liquid that looks sexy on the worktop. Surely, of all the things you don't want to look sexy is washing no no they, they, they do they want it to like because they've paid a lot for their italian workspace they need a they need a, a washing up liquid that's got a sexy shaped bottle you can't have the old fairy white one with with you know we need a oh right shit so we 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 were there, we were there busy making the best comp you know best type of fairy liquid we could but all you were really bothered about because they're all pretty decent these days is what the bottle was shaped like you didn't know that really 
until we've free associated about it in a, in a role play experiment. And we didn't know that. Right. That's what you really want. So that they took that approach to politics. So and this is where when you think about like Brexit and you think about Trump, the, the media and all the regular, whether they were comedians, Twitter people, media, journalists, whatever, nobody thought Brexit was going to happen. You know, they got a massive misread on what people actually wanted, which was probably a massive up yours because there's nothing had been going on in politics. No one had had any decent ideas since Thatcher because Blair had basically gone to everybody and said, what do you want? I'll be that and did it you want this you want this you want this so blair basically got in because he just pandered and found out what all these middle swing voters really well, it was before that really wasn't it if you if you think so you've got you've got this situation now where people are really embracing capitalism again because it helps them be themselves essentially and that really takes over so we're into the 1980s now and this is episode four essentially isn't it where you he follows you know like reagan and thatcher so obviously reagan in republican in america and then thatcher as a conservative in the uk where essentially they just ran on individualism so it all became about forget government we're not going to tell you what to do we don't want to interfere in your lives anymore you know what you want we're going to let you rule so it's like the individual became king didn't it yes we're going to cut you loose reagan said didn't he yeah we're going to step back and just like we're not going to tell you what to do you have it just just go at it so we're going to give you what you think you want which is to be free individual you know we want to be free we want to do what we want to do or you know it was on on a lot of films weren't it freedom and all became good and that's what i mean britain weren't doing that thatcher was probably the last which he didn't do it so much that thatcher came in and went here's my idea you're having it and people she was like the last one but she was still very much about you as the individual i mean one of her famous quotes no one is quite like anyone else she ran on those. I, I think we we spoke about it in messaging. I remember this in my mum and dad, like, you know, 1980s. My dad was kind of up and coming, had his own, like, business as a painter and decorator. So they were just loving it, going, oh, they're going to give us all this individual freedom. It's all about, you know, starting up, being self-starters, start your own business. Yeah. You do you and we'll help. When you look at their background, social background, they should have been dyed in the wool. Socialists, you know, labour voters. Yeah. One immigrant parents, the other just working class. And to them now, even still, they look at Thatcher and the, and those governments, conservative government at the time, was like on a pedestal. It was that pure, they're going to let us be what we want to be and, and make the, the success of ourselves that we want to make. Yeah, and, and, and in Britain, you know, that it, so obviously that became a lot about spending money and going for it, shopping centres, uh, credit cards, you know, going on holiday, having products and technology, you know. So, yeah, it was... Owning your own home and all that stuff was a big part of it, wasn't it? Yeah, your own home and, and, and setting the individual free, basically. So... This isn't, Curtis isn't, he's not criticising here. On, he's not saying this was all a disaster, by the way. He's saying individualism's great and it's terrible as well. It just depends how far you sort of take it. He's literally, to me, just making a commentary on what went on and why we are where we are now. And he's saying, I don't know if there was a better way to do it. And I don't know if there's been a worse. You know, either When you've gone fundamental on either way, most systems have a problem. But it's just, mate, it's just interesting to see that what was actually going on and why we've got to where we've got. It just tells that story from a distance. But, yeah, what happened was, because the Conservatives were so good with that and the Labour was so way off it and behind the game, new Labour, you know, Blair going, oh, my God. And that's what I was saying earlier. Blair then literally did go to the swing voters and they got all the marketing people sat down with them, found out what they really want. And that's what I meant about Brexit. Nobody went, nobody really, really went to people and went, what do you really want? And it were a bit, maybe some people went, I just want difference. I just want the, I just want, I just want to tell the government to shape themselves. So I'm going to shock them if I can vote. Brexit, leave, you know, leave. My life, crap, leave. Maybe something exciting will happen and that will wake them up. So a lot of it might have been around that rather than just, oh, the logical, rational, things about what whether it was good or whether it was bad to leave Europe. I mean, not many people knew, but they were making a, a point through the one chance to vote. So Blair, Blair, to be fair to him, got into these people and went, okay, so you, you... So one of the things people were most bothered about was local crime, rather than any national policies and this and that. So so it, and, 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 and very things that were very local to their, their town. So he started coming on going, and we're going, you know, we're going to solve local crime. 
we're going to put policemen in your streets. Well, that'd be enough to fill like 300,000 volts, just that comment, you know, because he was hitting the, he'd found out these, you know, people were thinking, why is he going on about this? We're all about social tax cuts and they live. No, because people were more bothered about that. So what he did, he pandered. And that's what, that's what apparently, that's what apparently happened. And then is it the thing with Blair and the Iraq thing at the end? I don't know if this would be, you know, you'd say, oh yeah, this is fact, but Kurt, this is the view that Curtis projects. Where he says that basically Labour discover, so Blair and that discover that really what, because it does swing voters with the middle classes, really, what weren't yes. it? it was that middle kind of chunk of people. You. And they, yeah, they basically <laughs> realised that people didn't want stuff that benefited society. They just wanted stuff that benefited them. And the way that they'd now been trained through Bernays and the, the culture over the preceding decades, they'd basically been trained by corporations that you give us money and we give you the products that you want. Yes. And Blair and that realise that that's how they now view government. So it's like we pay tax, not for the benefit of anyone else, but because you're going to then give me that back in what I want and how I want to feel and what I want to see. So that's what they did. And you're right, that's when you had the focus groups come in and it was just like, right, this is what they want. We're just going to give them everything. There's a few political commentators on there, isn't there, who kind of say, look, you just ended up with this massive hodgepodge of policies that made no coherent sense whatsoever on a national policy level. They were all just these random different things that the, the, the focus groups told them people wanted, and that's what they went with. So you were constantly then just chasing your tail, constantly trying to appeal to those whims and desires. of. So the vote has basically become a marketplace at that point, hasn't it? Absolutely. Like, you know, what do we need to market to you to get your vote? Yeah, and apparently that it's been the same ever since. Yeah. The, the, the philosophy of politics has almost been the satisfaction of my desires has become the philosophy that propels society. So find out what they want. Tell them we'll give it them, and then we'll get to that later, but once we're in office. Yeah. And then we'll even change it a bit. But to get in, let's just find out what they really secretly want. And that's where, you know, Curtis makes the point, I've read him in an interview, say that, that he thinks Thatcher and Reagan, in a way, would start, you know, had the last kind of ideas, because they didn't necessarily do the focus groups. They did, they went in with the idea of the self, the self happened, and then Labour, who were left behind because of the, you know, the community manifesto and all of that, they were like, we haven't got time for community, we're all, we're all, we're all too busy enjoying ourselves, haven't you noticed? A bit like Ireland, when they flooded it with all that European money, you know, the politics just went west, didn't they, I can't, I can't come to that meeting. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm at the beach with my caravan having a barbecue. You know? <laughs> having a good time here. So basically, it links to Nietzsche's point from years ago. Let's say like years ago, when Nietzsche was around the end of the 19th century. So one of his one of his comments was, "We will get to a point where we will be so comfortable. Call it the last man. The last man will become so comfortable he will not care about anything apart from himself." So basically, there'll be no great new ideas. Nothing will be, it'll all be just about his keeping, maintaining the balance of his desires and, and his satisfactions. And and I think that's potentially why we're in a time in the world, you know, so this is where you might look at it now and what does all this mean? You may be the fallout, what Curtis has said since, and he's done other documentaries hypernormalization and very recently can't get you out of my head which I'd heard, that's an eight-parter which i'd recommend people watch if the time because we'll talk about the documentary style in a second because it's just great but they the fallout of it not only are individuals perhaps a bit bored of themselves you know there's no extra there's no meaning beyond themselves really and their own survival and their own secures a lot of people are self-obsessed with their own well-being and my feelings and i'm not happy and I've not made my life a masterpiece, which is Tony Robbins' big mantra, make your life a masterpiece. You know, I've not done that. I've messed my life up. I've not self-actualized. You know, I've I've not got what they've got. You know, I've made a mess of my life and all these things, kind of kind of things. I'm not feeling very well. What's wrong with me? Oh, I've got well-being problems. You know, I'm not winning at sport. I'm I'm not number one. What? Oh, I must be terrible. I keep... So it's obviously a very internal self-reference sort of mindset where we've been hammered and still get put on. One of the fallouts of that is is that you you don't you get a little bit down about things because there's no bigger purpose out there than you. So everything becomes a bit depressing and a little bit. Oh. And I know Adam Curtis did a really short documentary called Oh Dear, and he and he has this phrase of these Oh Dearists. 
he says, and everybody around, like he sees a lot of people nowadays, they're like, they're like they're just, oh dear, there's another boat capsized in the Mediterranean. Oh dear, you know, with, with, a, with, with refugees. Oh dear, there's Russia have done this. Oh dear, the world's going to blow up, you know, because of global warming or whatever. Oh dear, the Americas, Trump's got in. And everything's this this natural kind of, oh, because nobody is, is generating new ideas Nobody's really coming up with new future future ideas to solve problems. They're all just frightened that they're going to die because they can't imagine a world without them in it. Because they're so self, oh, me and my family, oh, 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 I'm it's so, it's so insular that nothing's, nothing in the world is, 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 is beyond, is, is anything worth beyond them themselves. And society and psychologically, we've slowly gone there. And we alluded to this, didn't we, with De Beauvoir's episode last time when she said true freedom is willing the freedom of others. Yeah. You know, and this isn't going full full social. This isn't going to the left, you know, and fully because all things. So he said there's no politics out there. There's no there's nobody out there now coming up with any legitimately good new ideas to how to solve this self-indulgent or dearness of everybody or oh, the government's bad. This is bad. Get rid of Boris Johnson. Oh, well, this is going to be even worse. Get rid of Trump. Oh, we've got Biden. Well, that's even worse. Oh, oh the global warming. You know, not rather than actually coming up with using it as an opportunity to use technologies and not only invent, save the world, but invent a new way of being and, and a new social order in the world. It's like, no, let the scientists just tell us that we're all going to die. And all that makes you do is go, oh, shit, oh. <laughs> you know, and, and maybe more into yourself and, oh, I better, better get pissed while I can, you know, <laughs> I better, because better, it's all going to go wrong. So it's, a, it, it's really interesting that just that general vibe of how perhaps we all or most, a lot of people in the West turned inward as the king of their own and queen of their own universes. And we, we haven't, we're not really that social as social as we used to be because we're constantly being pandered to and fed things. Well, that's the fascinating thing about the, like I said at the start, it's, it's 20 year old now, so you, but it doesn't feel at all dated. It, it probably feels even more relevant than when he made it at the time, just because of the way the internet went essentially since, you know, in the last 20 years. So it's fascinating that you can trace what you've just described back all the way through, you know, people like Bernays, who, you know, like I said, has had such a massive influence on yes. the way we live. But I found a nice little quote from uh, Adam Curtis in an interview. It's not in the documentary. It was in an interview that he did that I think maybe summarizes that. as a, And it's a, it's a useful thought provoker for people. He, he says that people in a consumer society probably have more fun, certainly have more things, and we find those things comforting, enjoyable. And who is to say there is anything wrong with that? But we have also perhaps become trapped by an idea and it's got into every corner of our lives. And I think it has that, you know, like I said, Trace it back to Bernays, that marketing, consumerism, commodification of everything. It really has. It, it's in every single part of what we do. And that you're, Everything that we're exposed to, if you walk out your front door, you've suddenly just been bombarded with it, with it all, all the time. So I think it's useful. Like Amazon, isn't it? You get, you get an email off Amazon. These are your preferences. They know, they know what you are, and they just send you back into yourself. Have more of this. And you go, yeah, thanks, great. But they're basically controlling you. Twitter, Twitter at the minute, it seems so better back in the day, but Twitter now kills me because most people have it on. You know, you can, you can view your tweets in chronological order, or you can right. just have it on. Basically, like your feed is Twitter's feeding you. So anything that you've looked at, Instagram works the same. You know the algorithm. Yeah. It's just feeding you what it thinks that you think you want constantly. So you've never been exposed to anything different. It's just feeding that personality and those deniers, uh, desires constantly. Yeah. Well, that that that's that takes out the that takes out slowly, slowly, slowly. That takes out the complexity and the ambiguity of life, doesn't it? Now, I work with athletes, so that I keep saying and to try and keep them balanced in this world. The biggest thing I could talk to them all the time about is. It's complex. I haven't got the answers. I I'm a psychologist. I can't, you know, make you. We said the weekend with Rory McIlroy, how many psychologists were there ready to go on the final round with a to press send on the why Rory has made it after all these years? Oops, better not send that. He lost to Cameron Smith, who just flipping went on one. 
everyone has these neat things ready to like serve up and i think that the complexity and the ambiguity is often gone from that so i'll tell athletes like i'll hold your hand through it i'll 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 hold your hand through your experiences and what you're going to go through but you've got to you you've got to go through it you there's no i haven't got anything that can solve it and i know that might sound like stupid for a businessman but i I, which you could call me but i'm I'm not a businessman i'm just saying you don't have to work with me i don't have to work with you but i'm just trying to my i I feel now because i don't have to work you know for that for all of that just literally trying to get them comfortable or in a way perhaps shake them away from this uh, solution focused constant you know pandering to themselves and i'm not happy till i win that's and that's a desire don't get me wrong i mean God, I, I, I hate losing and absolutely love winning and I was competitive as anyone when, when we were touring with Laura and really wanted to win. But you have to get over yourself. You have to realise that, you, that it's, you're heading for a really serious pitfall because you're becoming way too self, up, back, up your own backside. You know, you're becoming that serious man in a way about yourself from last week or the, you're becoming, you know, too, too stuck in it. And then you'll end up nihilistic because you realise that can't solve everything and then you get fed up with everything. And I think that, you know, to, just to finish, you know, for me with that, that what Adam Curtis does when I watch his documentaries, although he presents things in a very biased, quirky with music and really, you know, he, he presents it in a way very typical and he presents a story and it's propaganda. It's his story. It's what he really thinks using his evidence but he's saying that. That's what he's, he's, he's saying that up front. He thinks, you know, journalists are telling you a story. But what the story does for me, every time I watch it, it gets me thinking. It gets me thinking. Now, there is a trap because you can feel really pseudo, pseudo-intellectual pseudo about it. You can watch these documentaries and start thinking you've done a, like, a 10-year degree in the history of Western civilization. All you've done is watch a television show. You, you haven't gone and actually... Like, so what that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it and be entertained. So for me, firstly, it's just entertainment. But what it then does, it gets me thinking and it gets me reflecting and it makes me aware of a few things. I've got to hold myself back from being too, oh, I know everything, you know, because he could be wrong on a lot of of his points and you could criticise him easily. But it's just like a really interesting way to, to, to understand that there is complexity and ambiguity going on. And there are forces outside of your control operating a lot of the time. Now, those forces that are outside of your control, like governments and social movements and psychologists coming in with life theories and marketing and technologies, they're not all there like nasty, evil things trying to make you worse or could totally control you. Some of them are genuinely trying to be there to make your lives easier, make your lives better, to free you. But some of them are more vindictive than that. Some of them are more controlling. <laughs> so, you know, what Curtis does, and he does it with, with hypernormalization, and, and, and it's, it's a bit like he goes, this is what's been going on in the world that you probably wasn't quite aware about. Be aware of it a little bit more, but don't panic, right? But it's going on. And if you can get it a little bit and just be aware of it, it might help you to not be such a such fodder to it. But don't necessarily go the other way and get all paranoid and all oh dear and oh my god, this is we've got these nasty governments and all these nasty things because that would be just you know not getting you anywhere mentally. You've got a great life. You're living in one of the best times ever of history. You know, try and see that, but have a look at the fluctuations in 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 trends that happen over years and i think like you said it's so fascinating to look back at a time you've lived in like the 80s and the 90s that you didn't notice it at the time and you go shit that was that that's kind of what was going on i just thought that was how the world was fact so it makes you a little bit more like open to now that you're going through a bit of a movement so you you don't have to panic as much kind of helped me through covid a bit really i just saw it as a phase in time not not the world's gonna stop you know it was like well you know i remember us joking that you're like saying we're living in it we're literally living through an adam curtis documentary (laughs) yeah you know we'd like send each other stuff you're like he's definitely gonna have this in his net so it it definitely felt like that didn't it he's gonna you know he's gonna come on and he's gonna do the covid years and just after what happened and it it, because there is stuff going on and he's gonna make something up but I mean, I I would just totally agree. I think there's no one better than him. Certainly from my from 
stuff I've seen, I know, there's no one better than, than gets you thinking as critically as he does in such an interesting, light-hearted way. You can watch yeah. his work, just like he says, it's almost like a film, can't he, his entertainment? But he is, he's, he's, he just sneaks in these little things <laughs> where he goes, shit, yeah, I remember that now. And like, I didn't, I didn't realise that was the impact it was having or why it was done and that kind of thing. So uh, we, clearly we'll, we'd both recommend this one. Yeah, absolutely. So it's four hours worth of investment, but it, it's definitely worth it. And then checking out his other stuff as well. I feel a bit sorry for him sometimes because he's become a little bit of a meme, hasn't he, where people yeah. kind of take the piss out of his style and the way he drops random footage in and the music that he uses and stuff. But I think it works really well. I really enjoy his, his work. He's only like the Rolling Stones, isn't he? Or he's only like the bit, you know, he's a, he's a Coldplay. He's a, you're always going to get your critics if you stick to a certain way. We all have a style. He knows that he's, he's, he knows he's a propagandist and he knows, but he says, he says, I would argue that, yeah, I, I am up front with my emotions. He said, I'm an emotional person. I try and smack you in the face with certain music, certain camera shots. I try and manipulate your emotions, but I do it really up front. I'm, I'm almost saying to you, I'm, I'm manipulating you here. Look at this footage with this music and l- listen to my voice and how sinister I'm saying it. I'm deliberately doing that to make you shocked because I want your attention. I just don't want it to wash over you like any bland documentary does. And that's why he makes them for TV and not movie theatres because with TV, it can be, it can do be carte blanche. And, you know, and I had that with my PhD. I tried in my PhD really to bring a new perception to what coaching and psychology is in professional sport. Right? I didn't try and make it about facts because there's loads of facts and rationale out there. So I did it in a, in a bit of a weird style. And I've been slightly criticised for that. Some people thought, what a load of rubbish. Some people thought that's genius. But whatever it is, you know, it's done. It, I've done it in a way that's tried to make it about... You, your life is often more about perceptions, what's going on, than facts about what's happening or it's just as much about perceptions let's say as it is about facts when you can open up your perceptions about how things could be this and they could be that that opens up different possibilities of how you can envisage your future you know that that gives you that maybe there's some magic in the world curtis is big big on conspiracy theories he thinks conspiracy theories are a bit he he knows there's conspiracies happen but he thinks conspiracy theories are actually people's way of trying to create a bit of mystery and magic back in the world, like at Christmas, and because everything's got so measured and so accurate, you know, like the the, the watches you wear for your, for your steps and everything, and universities and measurement, and everything's compared, isn't it? Oh, the hottest day since that day, and the, everything's got a measurement on it. You know what I think? When you can open up your perceptions and watch things like this, you can get wondering again and get a bit like, "Wow, the world's a bit weird, isn't it?" Oh, wonder what's going to happen. Rather than being too boringly factual and measured all the time, and I was trying to put that back into my to sport and my PhD, trying to get athletes to feel the magic of sport again and the magic of play that that you have as a child. That to a rationalist, that's shut up, Danny. What you on about? You just you just being an idiot right there but you can't describe it and I think when you watch a Curtis documentary for me it gives me that excited feeling again gets me like whoa whoa what's going on whoa I didn't know that was going on so there's a bit of that and that's why I'd recommend it as well to people can liven you up a bit do you know why you feel like that when you're watching it (laughs) why all you are is a slave to your inner desire (laughs) I don't know